It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in and hitting hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, are we a little too hopeful about the Atlanta Falcons this year? Our Locked On Hawks broadcaster, Brad Rowland, is going to join us. We'll talk about the Hawks offseason. And the Braves have a couple of Rookie of the Year candidates. Who would have seen that coming? It's all next. It's hitting hard with John Chuckery from Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. We welcome you to another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head over to YouTube.com. Almost 2,300 subscribers now to our YouTube page. We thank you so greatly in just this short amount of time for being a part of our community. Find us there. Hit the subscribe button. Leave us a comment. Of course, free and available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Odyssey. Leave us a five-star review and then follow me on my personal Twitter page. That would be at JMCH316. You know, I know hope springs eternal, right? And we've talked a lot about the Falcons and the hopes and things like that about what they could be. And I've said I think the Falcons are going to be a six-win team. But one of the things I've found interesting is that over the last couple of days, some of the publications that have come out ranking the strength of rosters across the NFL. I looked at ESPNs, and they have the Falcons at 31st. So in case you're not sure about all this, There's only 32 teams in the uh, NFL. So ESPN has the Falcons as the second worst roster in the NFL. And then I looked at Pro Football Focus and was scrolling through, and it took me a while to get down because, well, the Falcons are listed as the second worst roster on Pro Football Focus. So multiple publications that look at the Falcons as being one of the worst rosters. Now, I'll talk about what the write-up is here in, in just a second, but are we being a little bit too hopeful about what the Atlanta Falcons are going to be this year. Look, could the Atlanta Falcons be a top three drafting team next year? Could they be a three-win team? Yes, they could. And and there are enough holes and there are enough questions. Because if you think about it, you know, while we have hope at different things in this and the other, the Falcons do have massive major questions at, I don't know, three of the most important things in the entirety of the NFL. Like, it's great to talk about our secondary as a strength and this and the other and our rookie pass catcher and our second-year pass catcher. But reality is, reality is, if they don't figure out their offensive line, they're not going anywhere. If they don't get good quarterback play, they're not going anywhere. If there doesn't become a drastic improvement in sacking the quarterback, they're not going anywhere. And for the things that Matt Ryan and some of these other guys could hide over the years, they won't be hidden this year. So I'm hopeful. I I, I do believe that the Falcons can be a six-win team. And a lot of that I base on the idea that they are coached well. And I have to assume and I expect the same people that tell me about how guys in their second, third year are going to get better. I have to assume Arthur Smith himself is going to be better because he's going to have to be a better play caller. He's going to have to be a better red zone play caller, and they're going to have to get better as a team, and they're going to have to be better when it comes to when he, more specifically, Arthur Smith pronouns, pal. But 
two-minute management, four-minute offense, timeout usage, all this, that, and the other, decisions about when to go for it, whatever. He has to be better at clock management, timeout usage, and things like that, right? So I'm assuming that those things from the coaching aspect, I'm assuming Dean Pease with another year here gets a chance to get some of his things done. Now, we'll talk about what the Falcons' write-up is about why they're the second-worst roster in just a second, but today's show is sponsored by our friends over at betonline.net. It is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. Look, we're right in the middle, literally in the middle of baseball season. You've got golf tournaments going on. We've still got a major left. MMA, boxing, there's still all kinds of things going on. And if you're really one of the degenerates, we're not far away from getting into preseason NFL football, right? BetOnline.net has all of your news, your reviews, your podcast information, scores, everything that you need to be a smarter, better sports wagering information, including live betting, esports scores. Everything is available to you there in an easy to use platform. Head to the website today, use your mobile device. It's really easy. Put that uh, betonline.net into the browser there and look at the trends in the action and use that as your tool to bet smarter. Bet online is where the game starts. Now, here's what Pro Football Focus says about the Falcons. Their biggest strength is their cornerback duo of A.J. Terrell and Casey Hayward. They talk about their biggest weakness as being the defensive line where it could be and should be better with Ebicady, uh, but it could still be Grady Jarrett and a bunch of guys all around. And they say that the biggest X factor is Drake London. So I'm going to be honest with you. I agree with their biggest strength. Don't agree at all with what their biggest deficiency and their X factor is. Number one, their biggest deficiency is their offensive line. You have three of your five players that are three of the worst pass blockers in the entirety of the NFL. And it's only a league where the goal of the you know NFL offense is stand in the pocket, push the ball downfield, and get big chunks of yards, right? So the Falcons are awful, and it also leads to them not running the football effectively. And also, too, it leads to your quarterback getting hit, beat up, sacked a whole bunch of times. Now, <clears throat> it's great to talk about quarterbacks that can run around and do their thing and all this, that, and the other, but no quarterback can run for his life behind a bad offensive line. So I expect, if for no other reason, than just better personnel. Because I do think, even without having seen either of the guys play in a Falcons uniform, Arnold Ibikati, their second-round pick, and Lorenzo Carter, who they brought over as a free agent, those two guys have to be better than, I don't know, Dante Fowler and Stephen Means. Think about where the bar is set. Stephen Means in 14 games didn't register a single solitary stack. A guy who started and played in 14 games as one of your outside edge rush guys didn't record a single sack and only hit the quarterback three times. Ebicady should be able to do that in one game, right? I mean, so they can't, it would be almost statistically impossible to be worse on their defensive line from a sack perspective than 18 sacks in 17 games. So I expect that group to be better, but their offensive line, if it works itself out that they just run it back, and there again is Mayfield and Hennessy standing side by side with one another, it's going to be another long year. And you don't have a 57,000-yard quarterback that's looking at going to the Hall of Fame back there anymore. Now it's a guy who's been on his third team in seven years and a rookie third-round draft pick that's never seen anything like what the NFL is bringing to him. Remember, 
you know, listen, I know Ritter's played, you know, Alabama and Georgia and all those teams. Okay, but this is Alabama, Georgia times 10 every single week. There are no Memphises and Central Floridas and Yukons and Army and Navy and teams like that anymore. Now it's all the best of the best of the best of the best, as Will Smith would say. So the offensive line, to me, it's not even a question. They are the worst group that's out there. And the X factor is no question about the quarterback play. If they get bad quarterback play, they'll be drafting Stroud, Young, or Will Anderson in the draft. If they can't get their offensive line to improve, they're going to be one of the bottom-feeding teams. I'm hopeful. I, I do believe that they can find six wins. I do believe that they can be better than a lot of pundits think. But there are some glaring weaknesses, and I don't think it's coincidence that multiple sources are putting the Falcons as the second worst roster in the NFL. All right, when we come back, we will talk to our Locked On Hawks basketball expert, Brad Rowland, is going to join us. We'll talk about the Hawks offseason here next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back with you on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We ask you to head over to YouTube.com, find our page, subscribe to our channel, leave us a comment, free and available too, to download on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Odyssey, and then give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. The show today is brought to you by our friends over at Blue Nile. I know it is the season to talk about getting engaged, right? Summertime, love is uh, in the air, whether you're looking for custom jewelry for your engagement, whether you just want something for an anniversary gift or what have you, our friends over at BlueNile.com have all the tools that you need to get this done. You can make that moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And listen, our special uh, we've got going on for Locked On Sports listeners, get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. So this is exclusive to our Locked On listeners. Use the code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and you get $50 off a $500 or more purchase. Every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in a discreet package. And so you don't give away what's going to be inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to boonow.com today. We are joined now by our Locked On Hawks podcaster. He is our friend Brad Roland out in Las Vegas. You can follow him in on his Twitter page at BT Roland. And uh, Brad, thanks for uh, spending a few minutes with me. And um, so what's some early thoughts in looking at this team out in uh, Summer League uh, thus far? Yeah, Summer League is going to be interesting. Uh, this is an opportunity, of course, to see the young guys for the first time. A.J. Griffin is sort of the headliner, the first round pick that will be with the Hawks uh, in Las Vegas and uh, his first professional action. And also some Sharif Cooper. I know he's a very popular player from Hawks fans, a local product, and uh, obviously coming back for his for his second year. So a lot of attention to be paid. And the Hawks, of course, don't play until Saturday. So it's kind of a long wait for Hawks fans. They're excited to see this team with Summer League stuff been happening across the league the last few days. But I have to wait till Saturday, unfortunately. So Cooper signed a two-way contract. So explain a little bit what that means, because obviously he has to spend time in the G League and only has, I think, limited availability, right, on the main roster. Yeah, Sharif is on a weird situation now where he's actually technically a restricted free agent. But they're going to they're going to bring him back in some capacity. They can make him on a real contract if they, if they want to. They can have him back on a two way if they, if they want to. Um, I think he'll spend some time in College Park no matter what. Um, and the question is kind of how much he is with the big league club because they brought in Aaron Holiday to back up both Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. And one of the wrinkles with this team is having Murray as the starting two guard, quote unquote, but also the guy that they are planning on backing up Trey as well. So there's kind of a uh, up in the air as to how many minutes they'll be for Sharif or anybody else behind those guys. So let's talk about uh, the herder trade for a second. I mean, I think it's a couple things. I mean, and, and tell me if I'm off base, but 
you know, they kind of picked Herder, uh, or I should say picked Bogey over Herder, and it clears up $65 million. I don't think it was a, I don't know if salary dump is the right word, but it does make sense from a business perspective, doesn't it? If you are going to get in the luxury tax or make one more big move, you do at some point have to find some money to be able to move around, right? Yeah, I think that the deal may not be expressly about money, but it certainly has a, it's a factor, you know, long-term, they're going to have to pay DeAndre Hunter in the future. At least they hope that they're going to have to pay him in the future. Um, you know, John Collins still a long-term deal. They bring in Murray now, who's going to be making a lot of money in the future. Trey Young's on a max contract, all those things. And Herter, well, that's a pretty good contract. It is four years long. And uh, with Bogdanovich having some knee issues, a little bit older, I think it was also just easier to move Herter in a lot of ways. He had probably more value as a trade, as, as a trade piece. And you bring in Murray ahead of him and basically you have these three guys between Murray of course who's going to be the starter now and behind him Herter and Bogdanovich they didn't really have necessarily room for all of them so it's one of those it, it saves them some money it sort of rounds out the roster a little bit and also it's kind of a natural you know long-term thing to kind of clear some space and uh, flexibility you think they could use Justin Holiday or Harkless as trade pieces because they are an expiring contract that if they need to just put a salary in to make things work out right that that's could be what those guys are really here for yeah, I think I think Harkless in particular. I think right now Holiday is going to be in the rotation, probably as the fourth wing. Like I think he'll actually have some value on the floor this year as a two-way guy, kind of a three and D role player type. Nothing nothing fancy, but someone who can play real minutes for them is on that kind of a little bit smaller track, but doesn't really have a role necessarily. Maybe some backup four minutes if Jalen Johnson is not quite ready yet. But I think for the for the most part, the plan will be to play Jalen Johnson. So yeah, I think Harkless in particular is a very expendable guy if they wanted to kind of include him or move him to sh to even shed more salary and kind of have that piece that can be sort of a pivot either way. Brad, what do you think AJ Griffin's role can be with this team for this year? I think probably pretty small as a rookie on the big league club. Uh, I think we saw last year, Hawks fans don't necessarily love this, but Nate McMillan's not the biggest uh, guy who's like an advocate of playing rookies. We saw it with Jalen Johnson. I think Griffin um, may be a little bit more ready to play because of the shooting, but defensively he has a long way to go. And they have a lot of guys ahead of him on the, on the, on the depth chart between Murray and Bogdanovich and Hunter and even Holiday now probably. So I think they'll probably take their time with him. I think he'll probably play a little bit along the way, but he'll spend some time in College Park, I'd imagine, time purposes if nothing else happens in front of him. And I think that Griffin uh, also is still 18 years old. That's for a prospect. And they know that it'll take a couple seasons probably to get him up to speed. So I would expect a uh, minimal role for the most part, unless you get an injury or two, and then you kind of play at that point. To your point about young guys and rookies, is it – I mean, I, I believe Jalen Johnson's not there in Las Vegas, right? He's not part of the, uh, the Hawks roster. Yeah, he had a non-surgical procedure after the season. Is not ready to play yet, so it's not. not it's supposed to be not, not a long-term concern. He'll be back for training camp, but he's not ready to play physically right now. I think he'll probably be out here with the team, but he's not going to play. He's not on the roster, so that kind of takes away one of the intriguing points, and it becomes basically Griffin, Cooper, and some supporting guys that are out here. So I guess, the, I guess the question is, what's Johnson's role? I mean, is he is he you know is he going to spend a lot of time in College Park too? I mean, or are they finally going to give him a shot up here because? Look, at some point, your roster is going to have some young, cheap guys. I mean, let's be honest. We're going to have a whole bunch of high-priced guys. You're going to have to have some young, cheap laborers, we like to say. Is he going to have a role for this team this year? Yeah, I, I think so. I think they're not 100% sold on him until he actually does it. But I think going into the season right now today, he would be their backup power forward, I think. I think he'll have that Gallinari type of role, maybe a little bit smaller than Gallinari playing because he was obviously making a lot of money, more established guy. But they don't really have anybody in front of Jalen Johnson 
other than John Collins at the four spot right now. So I think he'll come into the season with a designated role in a way he didn't last year. If he struggles, maybe they have to pivot away from that. But to your point, they're going to have to play him at some point. And I didn't have a huge problem with him not playing a lot last year. I would have at least liked to see him tried at some point. But this time around, they kind of have to try him. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But it's it's time to go ahead and give him some playing time designated from moment one and kind of see if he can sink or swim at that point. So I had a chance to talk with DeJounte Murray um, last Friday. Um, he was doing some media rounds and had a chance to to speak with him. And, and he talked about how, look, he knows Nate and he knows the Hawks. And he's been talking to Trey for the last few weeks and this and the other. And I think he's ready to get cranked up and going. He hadn't had a he, he said at that time he hadn't had a chance to talk with Nate about his role. But I think we all assume after Nate's comments in the offseason about, hey, if we bring another ball handler, Trey can start to play off ball more. You think Trey Young is going to be mostly off ball, or you think he's going to kind of mix up the idea of when he plays those guys together, they're going to kind of split how ball ball dominant, excuse me, that they both are? I think it'll be a split to your point. I think Trey is so good on the ball that you don't want to take him off the ball entirely. Um, that's, you know, his primary value is his pick and roll ability, his passing. I think it's still his best skill. Like he's just, he's such a good passer in a lot of different ways. So having him do that, I'm sorry, having him never do that would not be a good idea. Um, I do think though that he'll play more off the ball now. Murray is by far the best guy I've ever had next to him as a creator on ball, and that will kind of push Trey a little bit to be off ball. And his shooting numbers are really good and catch and shoots stuff all stuff like that across the ball. So I think that. It'll be a mixture. You'll see Murray on the ball some with Trey. You'll also see a stagger, I would imagine, to where you make sure that Murray is on the floor a lot when Trey is not on the floor. And that allows Murray to play on the ball considerably more when Trey is sitting on the bench. You kind of run your offense through Murray when Trey's off the floor. So the balance will be tricky to find. I think Nate will try to find it. And uh, But for the most part, what I would certainly not say is like you want, you want to give Trey time on the ball because that's still his number one value. All right, so it's the $75,000 question, right? I mean, I, I know on draft night, and I was at the Hawks draft party, and oh, John Collins getting I, – I, another blue check mark media told me that he was going to be traded on draft night. And I understand the idea, but I, I've also, in talking to Steve Kuhn and the people, they're not giving Collins away unless they get ready to win now players. And my point is, at the point of where we're at in this offseason, okay, I understand Aiton is a guy that they still link to the Hawks. Take away DeAndre Ayton. I don't think there's a legitimate name out there that that's quote unquote available that makes a lot of sense. So what's the reality of we're going to move Collins or we're going to keep him and, and hope that Murray and Trey together can get him more involved in the offense? I think one of the trickier things with a Collins trade that you sort of allude to there is that the entire time he's been very available, but they want to get a starting caliber power forward back. And that makes life difficult because you're trading you're trading him, yes, potentially. But when you when one of your parameters is we have to get a starter back at the same position, it just makes it hard to try to find that that partner. And yeah, I heard a lot of stuff before the draft, even right after the draft, that the, that the Hawks were definitely looking to move Collins. I think they did try to, but they were never going to take a bad offer for him. Uh, that was that was the kind of you know there are certain times when a player is so toxic that you have to try to move him for for, for whatever you can get. That's not where Collins is. The Hawks wanted to potentially move him, I think, but never find the deal that they, that they wanted so far. It's still possible. And yeah, to your point, there's not a lot of like big name players. I think, honestly, if, if he's moved now, it's going to be a return that fans are like, wait, that's all we're getting kind of thing. Like, And I think that there's a lot better chance now than there was two weeks ago that he's not traded 
And personally, I never saw the impetus to do it anyway. I think John is an underrated player still. I think that, yes, his role is a little bit smaller than he probably would like it to be next to Capella and playing, you know, only to four for the most part. But listen, he's still a really good player and you don't, you don't want to downgrade because you made, you made this win now move with Murray. What you don't want to do now is take a far forward, clearly trying to win in the present. And Collins is probably your best option to do that before. Yeah. And, and last thing for you, Brad, I mean, you know, and I asked this of Steve Coon and I'm like, I know there's a lot of rumor out there, but okay, just because there's rumor, why do the Hawks have to trade? Because that's become the narrative is, well, the, the, the Hawks have to move. Why do they have to move him now? John Collins didn't come out and say, I don't want to play for the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks front office didn't say, we want to get rid of him. I can tell you, Travis Schlenk uh, didn't say, we want to get rid of him. To me, it's a lot of, it's been, a, and I hate to say it this way, and I'm not picking on everybody, but again, it's a lot of media narrative about this, that where is the teeth behind all of this? And Collins is a 25-year-old player who still has a role, and he's got two stars in front of him now. You don't have to worry about being the second guy now. You don't have to worry about being a star. Go out there and be John Collins from a couple of years ago, and I think this team can still win a lot of basketball games this year. For sure. And I think the one thing that I was confident is that the Hawks were going to do something different going into next season, but they already did that. The Murray deal accomplishes that. Right. He's, the, he's the guy that checks all those boxes for them. And once that sort of bigger move was done, me – the impetus was never going to be move John, but once a changing move already happened, you know, again, you're kind of looking for a, a, a trade that maybe still nets you a player back, but are you the guy that's better than John Collins in exchange for John Collins? I think probably not, unless it's a move that we just not heard about at all, which is always possible. I think once the Kevin Durant thing is over, maybe, maybe the sort of the deck chair shift across the league and there's still a possibility that he's traded, but for me, it would never have been anything for me to move John Collins. And I think that he should be comfortable coming back. He's a team guy too. I know he's been in rumors for a long time at can't be easy for anybody, but he's a pro. He plays hard. He'll, he'll, he'll show up. He'll play hard if he's back, and he'll be their best option, at least of, of, of the whole board that I can see. Check him out on Twitter at BT Roland, and don't forget, you can download his podcast free and available. It's on our YouTube page. It's on all your favorite podcast platforms. Locked on Hawks every day as well, and he is out in Vegas. Brad, we appreciate it, buddy. Thanks uh, for checking in uh, with us, and uh, don't spend all your money at the casinos out there, okay? <laughs> Thanks for having me, John. It should be a fun week plus here in the desert. You got it. When we come back, we'll talk about a couple of guys that are really in the hunt for Rookie of the Year with the Atlanta Braves. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back with you on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Make sure to head over to YouTube.com, put Locked On Sports Atlanta into the search browser. When you find our page, hit the subscribe button, leave us a comment, and of course, free and available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Odyssey. Five-star review is there. Follow me on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. You know, it's funny, and we've talked about the rookies for the Braves and the young guys and the contributions that they've they've gotten. I mean, they have certainly got a lot. And it's funny because we came into the season with no real expectations for rookies, right? I mean, after the experiment of Christian Pache, and then, of course, he was traded and Longoliers was traded, and they traded, what, four prospects to get Matt Olson. There wasn't really any expectation for the Braves to bring rookies up. I mean, you were set. Your infield was all set with Olsen, Ozzie, Dansby, Riley, right? Your your catcher position was set with Pena and with uh, uh, Travis Darno. You felt like your rotation was pretty well set. Yeah, you're going to bring up a young guy, probably like Kyle Wright, or he gave Tucker Davidson or Bryce Elder or this guy. But you felt like, you know, it wasn't going to be like a, a rookie or anything like that that was going to make a big impact. Outfield-wise, you thought you had Rosario and you got Duvall and Ronnie will be back. And 
this, that, and the other, and you get Ozuna into the mix and blah, 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 blah. And you really didn't figure that there was going to be a lot of need for any rookies. Now we fast forward a few months into the season. And according to the latest odds, uh, and these odds, by the way, are um, from FanDuel, right now the Braves have the tied for number one and the number four can't, uh, odds makers right now to have the rookie of the year. Michael Harris right now is the betting favorite along with O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates, and I'll talk about that in just a second. And Mackenzie uh, Gore for the Padres, starting pitcher for them, is at number three. And then Spencer Strider is at number four. And it is kind of remarkable to think about. We sort of kind of, I did, I'll say it like this. I had kind of given up on the Braves farm system just because we are in win-now mode. And I've said for years, look, if I have to trade prospects and give up guys to go get quality major league talent because that's where we're at, then I'm good and fine with all of that. But I could not, and no, I don't think anybody could have seen Strider and Michael Harris coming in and doing what they're doing. And think about both of both of them. Where I mean, Strider's been with the organization for two years, right? He was drafted in 2020 and how quickly he's moved up through the ranks. Harris was a guy that was playing in double A, moved his way up over the last couple of years, but was playing in double A, didn't even go to the Braves triple A affiliate up in Gwinnett County up there, and immediately came from Mississippi up to the big league club. And both guys, honestly, have been outstanding in their role with the Braves. And now all of a sudden we're looking up and it's another one of those arrow pointing upward types of things that we're like, wait a second, we didn't see this coming. Harris is obviously hitting 300, Fowler's 19 RBI, scored 24 runs in 36 games, has six steals. And by the way, even if he gets into a funk offensively, speed and defense travels, right? The old axiom, well, Michael Harris has got that in spades, right? He's been an outstanding defensive outfielder. And honestly, like last night, for instance, beats out an infield hit. Then he steals second. Then he steals third. And he scores on a hit by Olsen. That's an element that, and, and I've said this for years, if you've listened to me on radio, even listened to me on this podcast, you know, I don't think the Braves use their speed enough. I, I, I love their aggressiveness on the base pass because they can get it done. Ronnie, Dansby, even Ozuna trucking along. Once he gets going, he can get around the bases. So I love the dimension that Michael Harris brings, but nobody could have seen this coming. And now, honestly, he really is, I think, the front runner to be the rookie of the year. And with all due respect to O'Neill Cruz, he's another guy that's, look, he's a guy that is a high prospect for the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? But, and he's a very defensive-minded player, but right now he's hitting 222. And with all due respect to his defense and this and the other that people talk about, he ain't any better defensively than Michael Harris is. Go put Michael Harris's, you know, highlight tape up there and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So he's been outstanding and I think he's the leader. Now we'll talk about Strider here in just a second, but today's show, of course, is brought to you by our friends at Coffee AM. And you know, I love these folks. They are up in Canton, Georgia, local here to the Atlanta marketplace. This is the best online coffee company. Listen, they've been doing this for a while. If you go to coffeeam.com, you can check out their huge selection of products. They've got all sorts of ground coffees. They have the K-Cups. They have all kinds of teas and things like that. I mean, these guys are awesome. I'm drinking it 
I'm drinking it here this morning. I mean, I, I do it every single day, but they are the best small batch coffee roaster in America. And again, they're local here to Atlanta. They have a lot of different flavors. You like lighter blends, you like darker blends. I'm a dark roast guy. I love that kind of stuff. So here's what we've got going on for you. We've got a special going for you. Right now, if you go to coffeeam.com slash locked on, coffeeam.com slash locked on, put in locked on into the coupon code, and we're going to give you 15% off all the coffees, teas, gift sets, whatever you buy out there, you're going to get that 15% off. So again, go to coffeeam.com backslash locked on today. Take a look at the full menu of different things that they've got on their website, coffeeam.com backslash locked on. Use the coupon code locked on at your checkout and you get 15% off your first order of coffees, teas, and gift sets. I love these guys. They're up in Canton. That box that they sent me smells tremendous. Coffee AM is the best small batch roaster in America. So then we move over to Spencer Strider, who, when you think about how his role has evolved in being a, a guy who's a stopper in your bullpen, right? A terrific setup guy, middle guy, eat up some innings and long relief and strike out a million guys. And now he's moved himself into the starting rotation. Now, again, the other starter that a lot of people are talking about is Mackenzie Gore. And he's been pretty good. But in all honesty, he's four wins and a 3-1-8 ERA. And I only bring that up because, well, considering Strider's not been a starter all year, he's four and two with a 287 ERA and has 90 strikeouts in 59 innings. He averages almost 14 strikeouts per nine innings. And he's got the mustache and he's got, you know, the 100 mana. You know, that's all great. But he's a terrific pitcher. He's, with all due respect to what Gore has done for San Diego, and because Blake Snell has been so bad, they needed another guy to step up. I mean, Musgrove has been terrific. He's going to be an all-star. No problem there. Darvish is Darvish. But Blake Snell's been, you know, awful, if we're just going to put it bluntly. And Gore's been a nice piece. But he ain't been better than Spencer Strider. Look at some of the – look at some of the – forget just the wins in the ERA. Look at some of the underlying numbers, the, the whips and the – and the strikeouts per nine innings and things like that. It's crazy to think that the Braves, for a team that's coming off a World Series, and the fact that they are in win-now mode, and Alex Anthopoulos himself has said, we're not worried about rookies, we're not worried about, you know, giving guys tryouts and things like that, and given sort of the failed Christian Pache discussion, and the fact that Drew Waters who has been their 1A, 1B top prospect. You know, I understand he started the year hurt and he's gotten a late start, but the fact that they haven't had to call him up, they haven't needed him, the contributions that they've gotten from Harrison Strider, they've got maybe two of the three best rookies in the National League. And I don't think any of us could have seen that coming this year. And, and you look at the injection that those two guys have made into this team, how Harris's not only transformed the lineup, but now he's nailed down center field. So now you've got your young, defensive-minded, speed-burning center fielder who can man that position. And, oh, yeah, by the way, at the bottom of the order, it gives you another 300 hitter to get on base for when Ronnie and Dansby come up. And then Strider goes right from throwing 100-mile-an-hour stuff in the middle of a game, striking everybody out, keeping a lead, 
to, oh, yeah, now he's going to be my fifth starter out there. And honestly, he's been more consistent than Ian Anderson has been this year. Right now, I would tell you that if you rank the Braves starters, you'd have to put Strider right behind, you know, Morton in the number four spot and probably put him ahead of Ian Anderson. It's crazy to think that this team is still finding young guys in their farm system to come up and make big impacts and hopefully it leads to another World Series championship. All right, we thank you for making Hitting Hard with John Chuck your first listen every day. Make my friends over at ATL Day Ones your second listen every day. My friends Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste are talking about all things in the heart of the city of Atlanta. All the local teams, Hawks, Braves, uh, Bulldogs, Falcons, you name it, they're covering it. Listen to my friends uh, on our YouTube page. You can subscribe there. Find us at Lockdown Sports Atlanta. They are also free and available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Odyssey. And then also give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. We will be back with you tomorrow. It's been Hitting Hard with John Chuckry on Lockdown Sports Atlanta. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.